Now, I say that was this week, but actually, let me just check the exact date that it was. Yeah, so that podcast was Wednesday the 30th of June, um, and, and I found that it's it was a really interesting Lou. Uh, Lou Elizondo on that podcast was going into certain things that I've not really heard him talk about before. Um, There was another thing that he expanded on that he has mentioned before, but it definitely seems now, and I've said this before about Lou Elizondo, this guy is very good at really gradually kind of just teasing information out. So if you hear a podcast with Lou Elizondo and then you hear another podcast four weeks later, you might hear some more information in there. He'll hint at it and then the following podcast, you might hear him expand on it a little bit. And I think part of that is the the phase three that we're now going into, as, as Lou said, uh, gear three, I think he referred to it as. That's that's something that, that I found quite interesting. I mean, that, that shows that... I think, my, my kind of thinking behind this is, since Lou and Chris Mallon and a few other people have left TTSA, they've now, I think, got some kind of organisation going on behind the scenes, some kind of a plan in place where, at certain strategic points, they will start to release more information, more of the things that they know, uh, in order to, to to kind of push, push the conversation forward at, at strategic moments. And it's quite obvious that, the report coming out the uap task force report um which if you if you want to know any more of my thoughts about that uh, i've done a previous episode all about it so feel free to check that out i'm not really going to discuss the contents of that right now but but you've got to think that um that report coming out is is going to be a definite moment which is going to mark a shift into the next phase which clearly lou himself has actually said that we're moving into gear three I was actually speculating the other day about how many gears there might actually be as well. And if you think about Lou Elizondo tends to plan things out, not often it's random, the things that he says. So Lou is a car enthusiast. He calls himself a gearhead. Now, in the UK, we, we, we usually refer to somebody as a petrol head. I think the gearhead thing is, is more of an American um, equivalent to that. But with Lou being a car enthusiast, if you put it that way, is it possible that the amount of gears is going to be similar to the amount of gears that a car has? I think it may be. The difficulty there, though, is how many gears does a car have? Now, it all depends what kinds of cars Lou Elizondo is interested in. So that would be... I don't actually know. I tried to have a bit of a look, and I couldn't see any info about that. And if, if I ever get the chance to interview Lou Elizondo, which I hope one day I may do, um, I'm going to ask him, uh, how what kind of cars do you like? Because that could actually give you a bit more of an, a bit of information about what amount of gears we're looking at. So older cars have four or five gears, uh, more modern cars tend to have six and possibly even seven gears and really modern um, sports automatic cars tend to have you know seven eight nine gears so we could be looking at um uh, you know a, 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 quite a variation of, of amounts of gears depending on what types of cars you're talking about but it's safe to assume that the amount of gears is probably not going to be more than eight or nine and lou also mentioned on another podcast recently that uh, disclosure is an eight-course meal, I believe was the exact quote. So it could well be that we're looking at around about eight stages. Now, it's certainly not, it could be six stages, but it could just be 
you know, that those things are not exactly linked when he's discussed them. It could more be more of a general thing. And I suppose another gear could actually come into the picture as, as things move along and more information comes to light etc so that is definitely quite a vague thing that it's, it's just some speculation there but it is worth thinking about i mean if we think we're now entering gear three of a possible maximum eight or nine gears it gives you some idea of how far along the process we are according to the plan that lou and his associates have, have, have put into place quietly behind the scenes so I thought that was worth a mention. Um, hang on, quick um, nose blow break. And I'm back. So I thought that was worth a mention, but the actual things that he mentioned on the Terry Verts podcast, and if you've not checked that out, definitely worth having a listen to. It was one of the best uh, podcasts with Lou that I've heard for, for a little while now. So it's Terry Verts. So that's T-E-R-R-Y and Verts is V-I-R. T.S. and uh, Terry Verts is a former astronaut so there was definitely some some very interesting viewpoints that he, he put forward from the point of view of somebody who's actually been to space and so on and Lou just really seemed to enjoy the conversation and open up and part of that's probably the gear three thing now he's able to discuss more so these are the things that I found the most fascinating points but if you really want to know more detail I'd definitely recommend checking out the whole podcast so there was a rocket retrieval from some uh, testing that had been taking place. So, yeah, specifically, they weren't given any dates. So Lou had mentioned that he didn't want to give any dates or any names of the specific person because that person apparently doesn't really want to be in the limelight and so on. But it was a Navy test of a cruise missile or some cruise missile technology and the idea is that um it's apparently a puerto rican trench off a off an island in in the ocean and this particular trench is about twenty five thousand feet deep so it's apparently the second deepest point in the entire ocean and what actually happens is that the navy test fire a cruise missile and they fire it over this particular point, and what happens is when the missile eventually runs out of fuel at the end of the test, the missile then drops into the ocean, and then um, I think Lou was, was uh, saying that at some point it rises up, so I'm not sure exactly what happens there, whether or not that's some kind of built-in device into the test missiles where it actually has like a buoyancy thing which rises it up so that they can collect it. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't go into much detail about that, maybe for good reason, but... The point is, the missile runs out of fuel, falls into the ocean, and then they go and collect it and analyse the data on board the missile, etc. And what Lou is actually saying is that they send a helicopter um, to actually go to fetch this, this missile. And the first time they go to fetch the missile, not the first time ever, but the first time out of the two cases which I'm about to discuss. So they, they send the helicopter out, and as they start to approach the site where the missile is, they see a huge, round, black, almost island-shaped object rising up from the depths of the ocean without breaking the surface of the water, but they just see this huge island-shaped um, black object rising up from the depths. Now, that is some seriously scary stuff. I mean... <laughs> It's very difficult. This is just literally a story. This is he said, she said type of stuff. But 
it's coming from Lou Elizondo, and Lou has has never really been one to just spin a yarn. I mean, the, the, everything is revealed with very specific intent, and I just don't think he's just going to throw out some random story which is not very easily provable and things like that. It sounds like it is a legit thing that actually happened, which is just mind-blowing to think that there's a black, huge black object that rises up from one of the, the, well, the second deepest point of our entire oceans. Really, really weird. Um, this is something that I've never heard of before, so I, I, I think, I've heard a lot of Lou Elizondo interviews, and I think this is the first time that this has ever been mentioned. Could this be part of the, the phase three, the gear three thing? to start to gradually release more of these these events who knows now this is definitely not one of the bulletproof data dense cases that's got video radar footage multiple credible witnesses etc or it's not as far as we know currently but could it be that this particular case is going to have more light shed on it in the coming weeks and months that would be very interesting to see but it seems like a hugely significant thing i mean if the lou's basically saying that this absolutely enormous object just rose from the depths as they were trying to retrieve a, a test missile i mean wow that that's i wonder if there is any footage you've got to think that the helicopter that goes to receive this missile may have had some kind of you know um uh, imagery you know possibly a, a FLIR camera or some kind of just regular camera and if there is footage of that that would be absolutely mind-blowing. But anyway, so moving on to the next test, the second test that they do, or the second time that this incident actually took place with this huge black island object. The second one's even more weird because apparently what happens is they have done another test, the cruise missile drops to the ocean and so on, and when they go to try and retrieve it, apparently it seems as though that this, in this particular case, the, the helicopter's there, and they're lowering a diver. Um, I think Lou refers to them as a frogman. I, I might have got that wrong, but I think that's what they call them. Um, so this diver is lowering down, uh, apparently to kind of uh, hook onto the missile so that they can then retrieve it from the water with the helicopter. And as as the guys, are, or the guy or the guys, uh, are going down to actually uh, approach the, the missile to, to do this, the same island or a very similar shape of, of island rises up from the oceans again but this time actually and, and I think Lou's exact words where it sucks it down into the ocean and then disappears so they have literally claimed the test missile in this point I mean that is pretty insane and you've got to think that if the first time they uh, experienced this this island rising from the depths if the first time they experienced that they didn't have footage or they didn't have any recording equipment on board, you've got to think that the second time perhaps they decided that, oh, actually, we're going to need some cameras on this thing because just in case we see that weird thing again. So it would seem to suggest to me that there, were, there must have been some data collection on that second incident if there wasn't on the first. It could even be that there was data collection on the first, but it, it was even more... Um, there was even more uh, equipment on board the helicopter the second time. I, again, I'm not a, I'm not a member of the military. 
I don't know how easy it would be or whether that's even possible to just add a camera to a helicopter or whether you use a different helicopter or, or what. I wouldn't be too sure about the exact specifics of that, but it does make you think, unless the the data that was collected has now been destroyed or you know, hidden or whatever, uh, that, that's obviously a strong possibility there as well. But it just made me think, listening to it, if there is some kind of some footage or some radar data to show this huge object and then it disappears or something that would be a, a complete game changer i mean is there the slight possibility that it could have been some kind of huge whale i suppose so but at this point it's very difficult to really go any further into analysis of that case without having more actual data um but absolutely fascinating uh, development there which i've never heard mentioned before and what's the significance of the fact that it was such a deep point of the ocean you know i guess you could look at it quite a few different ways but as i say really worth listening to that from the horse's mouth as it were uh, and go and check out the actual podcast where lou discusses it i think it's about um somewhere in the region of i'll tell you actually it's about 20, between 20 minutes and 30 minutes into the podcast. So it's fairly early on in there and it's really worth a listen to, to Lou describing those incidents himself. Um, so yeah, that, that was one thing that I thought was really interesting about that podcast. And the other one, this was something that Lou's actually mentioned as well on a previous podcast. I forget the name of the podcast that I first heard him mentioning this on. Um, but I heard him probably about a week ago talking about this and then in the Terry Verts one he actually goes into even more detail so I'll focus on that one and the thing that he's discussing there is the size of different craft and again this is a new thing for me it may be that other people have heard more discussions of this over the years but it's the first time I've heard Lou discussing it and it's the first time I've really heard it mentioned this clearly which is that each shape of craft is organized if you like into size category so we seem to have the saucer type craft whenever they're reported it seems to be that they are relatively small and and lou compares them to uh, a two-seater corvette type sports sports car so essentially seems to be kind of hinting at they're a, a much smaller um, uh, device craft and, and they are kind of used in a similar way to a two-seater sports car so they're not designed to fit many people inside but they're very fast and maneuverable etc and then the next size category seems to be the tic-tac which Lou compares to a school bus so I don't think the school part of the school bus thing is, is particularly significant there. could be wrong, but it sounds more that he's just referring to a bus, really, which is a device which is used to um, to contain more stuff, whether that be people or whether that be um, you know, whatever it is that it contains, devices or technology or storage, who knows? But it certainly seems to be that the tic tac is the next size category so we're looking at the difference of a small car compared to an actual bus or a coach or some kind of, of uh, a vehicle like that then the next size up is the triangle which he said generally a very very large so i don't think he actually used a direct description of what that would 
be similar to, but I guess you could say something along the lines of a, a, a large jumbo jet or something like that, so something that would be much more capable of carrying luggage or people or cargo. And then the next size up 10 seems to be some kind of huge boomerang. So the huge boomerang, from the sounds of things, are absolutely enormous, and I would put that probably something like the Phoenix Lights kind of size craft, which is basically you know, huge, almost the size of a town, um, you know, floating in the, in the sky. But the triangle and the huge boomerang seem to be quite similar in terms of their appearance. But I think the triangle compared to the boomerang, it would sort of suggest that the boomerang is slightly more rounded off rather than being a, a, tri a pointy triangle. Um, and I was trying to go back and look at the Phoenix Lights formation and... Uh, delve into that case a little bit but I've just not had time to do that much research on it on it and uh, compare the, the, the you know the actual angle of, of the lights etc so I'm going to be delving into that a little bit more uh, over the next few days but then it would also seem to suggest that as well as those size categories that I've just mentioned perhaps now we have another size category as well which is the huge black island from the ocean because that certainly, the way that he described it as being round and island-like, that certainly doesn't sound like a triangle or a boomerang. So is it now that we have the saucer-type craft, as well as possibly the cube in a sphere as well, which wasn't mentioned as part of the categories that Lou said? So what does that mean? I mean, that, that, I suppose that's a whole different topic which we could go into at a later date, but there was no mention of the cube in a sphere type of craft in this categorization so let's leave that one out for a second but we have the saucer the tic tac the triangle the huge boomerang and now freshly mentioned is the enormous round island so very very interesting and that that was quite a mind blower difficult because what i try and do is separate the the factual stuff from the speculation and this one is a difficult one because there is no actual hard facts there in terms of this is a picture of a triangle, this is a picture of it, etc. But it's coming from Lou Elizondo. The track record of this guy is flawless. He hasn't really mentioned anything that hasn't actually turned out to be correct. Um, this guy doesn't really drop the ball. So when he says something like this at this specific moment of the, the UAP task force report has just come out, I think that could be very significant and it's really worth keeping an eye on what more information comes out. It'd be fascinating to me to see if any uh, footage or any, any radar data of things like the, the huge island or the huge boomerang or anything, to see if anything like that now surfaces over the coming months. So yeah, that, I think that wraps it up on the Lou Elizondo Terry Verts podcast. Really, really interesting stuff coming out in that. But as I said... It doesn't really become hard fact and bulletproof. You can't argue with it until we get to that stage of seeing some more actual data to come out to, to back that up. So the next thing is uh, the Richard Dolan leak. So this one is one, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know as much about this. Um, and I'm trying to kind of piece put together the pieces of the puzzle on this one. So bear with me on this. But... 
from what I've been reading on Twitter and from what I've heard other people mentioning, so first of all, Richard Dolan is a prominent UFO researcher, generally very reliable with the information that he presents, tends to be quite balanced, not one of these kind of like hook, line and sinker on everything that comes out. He tends to be quite a reliable um, source in terms of balanced uh, reporting of, of events and so on. And... Basically, the, the information that was released um, was apparently uh, from a source that had given this to his source. So it's a bit of a third hand, a bit of a kind of passed along the chain um, thing. But apparently what it is is that these, um, these bits of information that have been leaked uh, to him through these sources are things that were contained within the classified version of the UAP task force report. Um, specifically relating quite heavily to advanced propulsion systems, which would certainly explain why they were in the classified um, section of, re of the report. But it's very difficult to verify whether or not this thing is actually 100% correct. But let's just assume that it is for the purposes of having a discussion about it. So the things that it mentions include um, all various different kinds of advanced propulsion systems that are being developed um, currently, including the use of exotic materials and ET-related items and, and things of that nature. And it basically points towards the very similar kind of conclusions to the Wilson memo and what a lot of people um, uh, think that is the case, which is that the government, the American government, have had advanced materials, advanced craft um, at some point in the past, has attempted to back engineer them, maybe still is, but the majority, if not all of these advanced uh, technologies and, and materials and exotic materials and crafts and whatnot have now been passed to private aerospace contractors who are now the ones that are actually doing the reverse engineering projects and so on again this is all things that have not been confirmed this is all things that is pretty difficult to actually get any data on as such but still re very fascinating nonetheless um the wilson memo is extremely um, seems to be extremely reliable in terms of everybody that I've heard speak about it um, as have essentially confirmed that it is a genuine document and if that is the case I mean we could do a whole podcast just on that which I may do actually at some point uh, but I need to research it a lot more myself before I do that but by all accounts that's legit and it, it basically confirms that the, U the UFOs have been actually taken in by the american government in the past and now being um researched and back engineered by private defense contractors so whether you believe that or not whether you believe this report or that leak are genuine or not it's still very interesting it's not a data dense case it's not the nimitz but it is fascinating and we could well see that more developments actually you know come forward in the coming months and years that actually do verify the contents of these things or disprove them and we'll 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 see how we feel about them at that point in time i guess but it is a fascinating development that not one that i'm massively knowledgeable about but i just thought it was worth including that in the podcast um so yeah that that's that one but the the other thing that i wanted to go into was the uh, the the big one of the other big stories of the week which is 
um, the Corbell and Nap release. So this is um, been a bit of a controversial one to say the least. So Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, obviously they have a little partnership going on and um, they claim to have uh, vast amounts of, of you know, mind-blowing videos and, and proof about um, from the military in particular uh, of various different sightings and things like that. And uh, Corbell had mentioned that he was going to drop something when the UAP task force report was released. And lo and behold, he did. And we had a rather grandiose um, video clip that he posted on Twitter um, of him picking up a phone saying UFO red alert and so on. And then shortly after that, uh, a new video was released. Now, there was a bit of a backlash to this video, okay, because it's basically just a black sky with a couple of little coloured dots, flashing dots and things flying around in it. Extremely difficult to see what anything is in that particular video. If you saw that video on YouTube, you would not be convinced by it in the slightest. It just looks like a couple of drones, you know, without any contact context, probably one of the worst um, videos that I've seen. However, and it's a big however, this is not just a video that has no context. So this is relating to the USS Omaha incident, which Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have already released a bunch of other information about this particular case. And all this is really doing is taking an existing event that we knew about which is that there was basically a swarm of UAP around the USS Omaha and this was caught on radar and there was multiple witnesses and it culminated in one of the UAP actually descending into the water which was caught on, on video which was released recently and obviously the, the, the radar data was released recently as well and all this is, is another point of data which has been added to this case, making it, I think, quite a data-dense case. It's now gone from being, you know, having a few points of data to having another point of data. So that's that's great. I mean, that, that in itself is, is fantastic. And this is what we need. We need data-dense cases. The thing that I would question is, and, and the thing about this is I actually heard Jeremy Corbell on a podcast a few days before the report came out saying that the video that he was going to release after the report was in in and of itself not very compelling, but it adds data density to the case, which is the way I think that it should have been framed. However, not a lot of people actually heard Corbell on that podcast talking about that. Jeremy Corbell does a lot of podcasts and he can't really keep up with all of them. So if you hadn't heard that podcast that I just so happened to have heard... You might think when he posts a video saying UFO red alert and blah, 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 the hype, you know, and everything around that, you might think something crazy is going to happen and then you click on his link to the video that gets released and you, it's very underwhelming. Now, I think that therein lies the problem. It was hyped up beyond what it probably should have been because it literally is just a probably the least compelling um, bit of evidence for the USS Omaha case and it was released in a way that was hyped up quite a lot 
And I, I get, I think what Jeremy Corbell was trying to do there is just have a bit of a laugh, you know? Um, the video, he's kind of smiling. Good to see the guy smiling because it's recently seemed that he's been getting more and more frustrated and he seems quite worked up in some of the interviews that he does and exasperated and exhausted and he's mentioned that he's not getting a great deal of sleep and, you know, just on a human level, kind of slightly worried about him, if I'm honest. Um, and... It's not nice to see somebody in any kind of distress and it's not seemed that he's been having the best time recently. So it's nice to see the guy smiling first and foremost and having a bit of fun with it. But on the other hand, it's probably not the way to go about releasing some information like that. I think the, the I mean, the ideal thing, I mean, it may be that this couldn't be done for various reasons, but the absolute ideal thing would be that they present a case study in full. So this is the date that it happened. It was on the USS Omaha. Here is the radar data. Alongside the radar data, we've got some witness testimonies. We've got the FLIR video. And we've also now got this footage that seemed to be filmed on a potato on the deck of the ship. If you do it like that, you've then you've presented a very compelling case. But the problem is, is that a lot of people who are mildly interested in this topic at the moment that don't come through every single podcast on the issue they're just going to see that video and think, you know, what the hell's that? This isn't interesting. This it could be anything. And there's a bit of a danger there that if you present something with a lot of hype and it's not really worthy of that hype, to people who have been a bit obsessed by this issue over the last, you know, a uh, few months since the information about the USS Omaha came out with the, the drone swarm, etc., if, you're, if you've been obsessed and you've been combing the internet for things to do with that topic, you're going to be quite happy to see another point of data to add to this case, making it a more data-dense case. But a lot of people aren't obsessed like I am, and a lot of people in, in the UFO community that I see on Twitter, etc., and they're just going to see this as a really underwhelming bit of video. And there's a bit of a danger, you know, of, of turning people off the issue a little bit with things like that. And I just think... If there's a lot of people in the actual UFO community that were disappointed by that particular release, think about the people who aren't really in the UFO community who are just, you know... we. I think Corbell's going to be quite careful, really, to present things in the right way. And I think that's part of the reason that he's so stressed and things that I was talking about, because it's a pretty overwhelming amount of responsibility to have all this data and to know how, how to present it. And I just hope that that Corbell has good people around him. I hope that he's got people to help him out and um, that he's takes some... <laughs> it sounds a bit patronising, but I really hope the guy just takes some time out, man, to just enjoy life a little bit as well because you, you can become overwhelmed and at the point that you get overwhelmed, you might not be making the best decisions. But I'm just from his own personal mental health point of view, I just hope he's, he's doing all right because... Um, we all want to see the guy do all right at the end of the day for the sake of the topic and for the sake of just, you know, him having a, a, a decent time and, and not struggling. So I really hope, this is this is what I'm really hoping, okay, that the next piece of information that gets released is a game changer, that it needs to be. And I'm really curious as to how much really compelling data dense cases Corbell has actually got access to at this moment in time and you guys let me know as well 
on Twitter, at UFO Thinker, give me a shout, let me know, because I really want to hear other people's points of view on this. You know, give me a DM if you don't want to be on the timeline. A few people have been sending me direct messages recently. It's great to hear from people. Um, so it's Twitter, at UFO Thinker. Let me know, how much more data do you think Jeremy Corbell has got? So the drops seem to be getting more hyped and less compelling. Now, why is that? Do you think that he's bluffing a little bit? That he's talking about all this incredible mind-blowing data that he's got that he can't release. Do you think he really has? Or do you think he's using that as a as a way of putting pressure on the Pentagon and putting pressure on the people in, in various departments within the US government to, to make them act quicker to do more? Um, which, if that is the case, it's, it's still a noble cause. He's trying to prove, or he's trying to get to the bottom of this issue, what this what these objects are, where do they come from, etc. So... It could be that, that he's actually not got as much data as he's letting on. I mean, he could have thousands and thousands of videos that all look like that one that was released a couple of days ago. And if that's the case, it's not a lot of use. For all we know, though, on the other hand, Corbell could be sat on some actual crystal clear photos and videos of black triangles coming out of the ocean or the Luella Zondo's black island coming out of the and it, what we need is a case like that I mean that is the dream isn't it if we manage to get footage of a triangle or one of these round islands emerging from the ocean backed up by data backed up by the pilot his co-pilot a couple of other people who were on board at that moment in time um that is what we need and I am craving that to come out because if that happens, we've got now the Nimitz case, extremely data-dense case that is the main point of leverage on the topic over the last you know few years. We've now got the US, USS Omaha, which is every time there's more data points added to that case, it becomes more data-dense and more compelling. Really, really interesting. If we add another case now, which is probably even more compelling, that that's going to tip the scales hugely. And we have to wonder if there is a, such a case. My hope is that Corbell and Knapp have got a case like that and they're just desperately trying to get all the pieces of the puzzle to click together to confirm everything to verify the provenance of all the clips, etc. And that they're going to release one at some point that would be a complete game changer. It just adds that extra bit of credibility. And I just hope that the next thing that they release is is worthy of the hype. And let's just hope that it is. I, I would love to see a whole case being presented with multiple points of evidence rather than dribs and drabs that seemingly get to be less compelling. That's not really the order that it should be done. In in terms of convincing the public and convincing people of of the uh, the 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 truth of of that that particular case, but it's the real world. That's not always how it works. I mean, it could just be that he's been desperately trying behind the scenes, as well as the thousand and one things that he has to do every day. Um, he's been working and working and working to get these bits of footage verified and it just so happened that that one became verified a couple of weeks before the task force report and he decided that he was going to he was going to drop it just after the report report was released that this just is what it is i suppose but it's just we all want to see more data we all want to see more verified footage come out 
anybody who's interested in this topic, whether you're mildly interested, whether you're absolutely obsessed or anywhere in between, we all want that. And I just hope that Corbell has got more very credible footage and I, and I hope that he does manage to verify it and that we manage to get another case. We need another Nimitz case. We need another... Um, you know, USS Omaha case, because this is the problem. And there are thousands. Now I'm looking into, you know, the historical side of things, all the various different reports of, um, you know, triangles and, and, and various different people have seen craft. I was looking into the, the Rendlesholm Forest um, incident recently, probably the, the highest profile UFO case in the UK. Probably going to try and do a podcast on that fairly soon. The... Those cases are absolutely fascinating, but they just don't have enough points of, of data density um, to be able to be a, a complete bulletproof case. There's too much that relies, unfortunately, on people's recollections and, and, and things like that. What we need is another Nimitz where we've got, or even better than the Nimitz, that's what we need. And if that, if that comes along, that could be a massive tipping point at, at where we are at the moment in the conversation on, the, on this particular topic. Um, so let's just hope that Jeremy Corbell's okay and that he's cool in his day-to-day -day life because that's, you know, that's what we want to see. Let's hope that he is not bluffing and that he has got extremely compelling data and he's getting more and more data on a day-to-day -day basis, isn't he? So let's just hope that he's got some mind blowers in the, in the can that he's, he's about to release over the course of the next year. That's what we all want, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. We want to see some proper mind-blowing triangles coming out of the ocean with radar data and with multiple witnesses and... Another thing, actually, that I forgot to mention earlier is that Lou on the Terry Verts podcast was talking about an incident where there was an actual naval uh, vessel where all of the crew had to actually go underneath inside the ship off the deck because they were being swarmed by UAP. And that, again, is, is just... If these incidents are genuinely happening, which we have no reason to doubt Lou Elizondo at this point, everything that he said has been you know, has been very clear and, and I don't know of anything that he said that has turned out to be false. The guy has been, uh, which is why he's seen by a lot of people as the kind of the figurehead, the go-to guy for new information uh, from an insider's perspective. If all of these things that have, we've been told about are correct, surely it's just a matter of time before we see video footage of a black triangle coming out of the water or one of these huge round black circles coming out of the water or if these things are as common as we're told you know ryan graves you know the one of the one of the other pilots that have that have gone public with with their experiences recently saying that he saw these things every day for two years if these things really are as as common as we were led to believe it's got to just be a matter of time before we get some more extremely compelling cases. And that is going to be a huge tipping point. Because at the moment, everything really rests on... If you're talking on, the, on a news show, you know, on, on, on a, a public uh, mainstream news programme, and they say to you, what's the best, most compelling case at this moment in time? It's got to be the Nimitz. And again, anybody... Who, you know, or knows of any other case that's more compelling than the Nimitz in terms of the data density. Let me know. 
um, get at me on, on Twitter, UFO Thinker. I want to hear it. I want to know more information. But to me, that is the one way. If you're on uh, the mainstream news and the, re- the presenters ask you about what's the case that everybody should check out to prove that this thing is real, it's the Nimitz case. We've got multiple witnesses on different aircraft. We've got it showing up on radar. We've got actual FLIR footage of the thing. You know, that seems to be, to me, the most compelling case because of the data density. And that is the thing that we have lost, you know, missed out on over the years and years and years that UAP have been witnessed. There has just not been the data density because we didn't have the technology. We didn't have the the reporting wasn't taking place and hopefully now now that the uap task force uh, ta- task force report a bit of a tongue twister when you say it enough times that one now that report's actually out hopefully we're going to see more data dense cases there could be a case taking place right now off the ocean that's being filmed at this moment and these are the things that that will that will change the course of human history forever if they get released so let's just hope that there are let's hope Carbell's got something amazing up his sleeve let's hope that Lou Elizondo all of these things that he's telling us about black circles rising out of the ocean let's hope that they're all real things and we're going to see a lot more evidence of that going forward but I think I've rambled on enough today there I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this new episode of the podcast make sure you keep looking at the evidence make sure you keep looking up at the skies and I'm going to be doing that. I've just got a new iPhone as it goes. And I actually went for the one that had the best camera available. It's the uh, the iPhone 12 Pro Max. So I'm going to be looking at my skies in the garden for the foreseeable future. And uh, if I see any Tic Tacs flying around or black triangles, you better know that I'm going to be getting my camera, my posh camera on my iPhone. I'm getting that out and I'm taking as many snapshots and videos as I can. But um, there's going to be... A lot of more trained observers than myself in the military in America who are now compelled to actually, who are actually being told that they have to report things. And how long it's going to take for that data to come to light is the thing, isn't it? Because if there's somebody right now out there in the military filming these objects coming out of the ocean or, you know, buzzing the ships, etc., how long is it going to be before we see them? It's all going to be revealed over the coming years. It's a very exciting time to be looking into this topic. So, as I say, guys, hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, and I'll catch you in the next one. UFO Podcast.